0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 29 of the Brozane Detroit Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. And for those of you who might be new to our podcast, uh, we're entering our third season of enthusiastic reporting on the Pistons. Uh, We're longtime fans, both kind of geeks and with technical backgrounds. We like analytics and advanced metrics. Uh, So this is a little bit of an amateur self-produced podcast. We're we're having fun, but uh, I think more and more people are starting to like it. So thanks for tuning in. Yeah, we were surprised to look at
1: the metrics we got. you know it, During our first season, we were shocked to find out that there were several people who were not blood relatives who were listening to the podcast. But now we've got a few dozen strong out there,
0: and, um, and thank you. Yeah, so we thought it would be fun this season to help t- target the perhaps lapsed Pistons fan uh, on the way into doing our normal season preview. We're, we, we thought we would go over like the history from the last time we were really good to this past season, when we made the playoffs again for the first time in six years, and then go into our usual stuff. So, I've talked to a few people who uh, who are casual fans, and they said I asked if they like the Pistons, and they say, "Oh yeah, I remember like uh, you know Chauncey Billups. I, is he still playing?" and things like that. And, and those are people who really don't know anything about the Pistons, but there, you might know more than that, but have sort of stopped watching them. Uh, and then you might have looked up and said, "Oh, we made the playoffs last year." So why don't we just run through like maybe a 10 minute history from the last time we were really good. We had this great stretch from 2001 to 2007 where starting in 2001, Rick Carlisle became our coach and we got back to back 50 win seasons true to the way Rick Carlisle always seems to grind out 50-win seasons as he has been recently with the Mavs, and in the second, his second season, he got us to the Eastern conference finals.
1: That's right. And, and uh, it, it's hard to even remember it, it, like those teams kind of seem foggy in our minds. I, I think we might've even still had the teal jerseys at that time, but it was, we had some familiar names, Ben Wallace, Rip Hamilton, and we got Chauncey Billups during that time, but we also had Cliff Robinson and uh scoreless Carlos Williamson and, and uh, Chucky Atkins. Those names will bring back some, some memories for some Pistons fans. So it was really just the, 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 um, the
0: very beginnings of what would become our core. Yeah. And then, Joe Dumars, who was still the GM back then, got impatient and fired Rick Carlisle, and which was a surprise to me because I was pretty happy to be a 50-win-plus team again. Uh, but we hired Larry Brown, and he, we went on to that year get 54 wins and win the championship, and the following year lose in the finals with 54 wins again and, and narrowly lose a chance to go back-to-back.
1: Back. Yeah, and, it, you know, it, it wasn't really that controversial at the time. Those two Pistons seasons where we won 50 games – those were Rick Carlisle's first two NBA hedge coach seasons of his career. He was a really well-respected assistant for the Indiana Pacers under Larry Bird, um, and those teams did well. He was like one of the – either the offensive or defensive coordinator, quote-unquote. Um, I can't remember which. Um, but, you know, he, he immediately went and coached the Pacers and did really well, and, um, you know, he won a, won a ring with the Mavs uh, ten years later. But but we got Larry Brown, and he, he – uh, when he won with us, I mean, we won the championship, so that validates every decision. And he was the, he's the only coach ever to win uh, both NCAA and NBA titles. And then we made it to the finals again the next year. So in Larry Brown's only two seasons with us, we we won the finals and lost the finals. And then he had some kind of uh, weird um, thing where the the uh, our late owner, Bill Davidson, got angry with Larry Brown because he... There was something about he he was saying he might not be able to coach as much on road games because he was having some sort of health problem. And uh, they thought he was trying to weasel out of his contract, so we fired him. And we hired Flip Saunders, who had the best regular season in Pistons history with 64 wins.
0: Yeah, and Flip Saunders, rest in peace, a longtime Minnesota coach. But he did really well for us. And we had 53 wins, then 59 wins and we, every single one of those we made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, but we, we, started, we started losing, so we stopped going to the Finals. And we were, had the mentality that we were just juggernaut and we were, should be in the Finals every year, and, we, and people were, felt impatient. And then so this is where <laughs> – this was the beginning of the long stretch of, of, of stinking. So this might be when, we, when you lapse as a Pistons fan because we fired Flip Saunders after a 59-win season. And then the, early that next season, we traded Chauncey Billups for uh, Allen Iverson. And that that, strung, that that brought on a chain reaction of just bad luck and events for the Pistons. And in fact, even early that season, after we had fired Flip, we, we started off pretty strong with Chauncey there. And then after we traded him, not only did Chauncey go on to still have another all-star season in Denver after that, uh, Iverson started to have his first season where he just wasn't even a productive NBA player. He wasn't even a starting caliber player anymore. And so we said, but, Silver Lining, Uh, it was an expiring contract, so we made cap room to start rebuilding towards our next great team. And who did we sign? Ben Gordon and Charlie
1: Villanueva. Uh, It was really a a case of, okay, you can maneuver cleverly to get cap room, but – uh, can, you, you can't, um, cap room doesn't get buckets. Players do. And if all the good players don't end up on the free agent market, like if they resign with their own team, instead of becoming a free agent, you know, you, you got to spend the money on somebody or you have to run, not spend all your money and, and have the fans wonder why you, you know, have, have all this money left over and your team isn't very good. So we sign those guys and, you know, the Charlie Villanueva contract I thought was, was not that big a deal. It was like he was, he was a little bit below expectations, but he was productive on offense for us. But Ben Gordon just went from being an above average player who had been kind had kind of some heroic playoff performances for the bulls against the, the Celtics in a previous year's playoff series to being just a, like a really bad player for the rest of his career. And I think he's out of the league now. Um, it, it was just, it was really something else. Um, and by the way, that, that last season that got Flip Saunders fired, we were sixth in offense and fourth in defense in the league in the regular season before lo- losing the um, conference finals again. So it's like, man, talk about having high expectations. Um, Pistons fans now, can you, I mean, can you imagine being disappointed with a conference finals loss and, and finishing near the top five and, uh, on both ends of the floor? Uh, it, just, it just shows you the mentality of a, of a successful team of trying, trying to stay at the top.
0: Yeah, my takeaway from that is, if you have a core that had done really well and had been to the finals or won a championship and started seeming like it was starting to be on the on the decline, do not <laughs> wait until you lose in the second round or earlier before you blow it up. I mean, and I, I would say for like L, for maybe a good team to think about that would be with like the LA Clippers right now. The fans there are getting impatient because they keep on making it to the second or third round and they they're playing against these amazing teams like losing to the Warriors or the or the Spurs, but they have, like, three stars. And so, I don't know. Like, I could, I could totally see them making the same mistake right now, and they might as well just keep that core together until they really can't even make it past the first round or something like that.
1: That's right. They'll, they'll really miss it when it's gone. Believe us, we Pistons fans know, because we went through two seasons of John Kuster, uh, who's a, a former and current respected NBA assistant, but disaster as a head coach. We had an open mutiny against him with uh, the, like Rip Hamilton and, and others uh, not wanting to play for him. Then we had two fr- seasons of Lawrence Frank, who's now the GM of uh, the, uh, the Clippers, um, to help out Doc Rivers. Uh, he hasn't coached in a while. Uh, we had one season of Mo Cheeks, uh, during which he got fired, and another guy, John Lawyer, who's never been heard from since coaching. And then we dropped all, a bunch of money on Stan Van Gundy and the new era began. And you know we we won 32 games, which was the most we had won since the um, the Michael Curry coached season when we had Allen Iverson, um, and it started our upward tra- trajectory again. And we made it till last year
0: where we finally dipped our toe back in the playoff waters, and it was glorious. The only the only thing we have left from that six year stretch where we had five coaches and less than 30 wins a season for the most part is um, we somewhere in there. We drafted Andre Drummond in 2012, and we also acquired KCP. Uh, And aside from that, Van Gundy, in the course of two years, has turned over the entire roster uh, and and making some gutsy calls, including dropping Josh Smith. uh, Some people say we should have gotten something for him, but he just knew it was not going to fit in our long-term roster. We had this clog of Andre Drummond, Greg Moose Monroe, and Josh Smith, so we and, and so we let and we also just let Monroe go, and people thought that was controversial too because he was good, but he just wasn't a good fit for our team and now as it's turned out, um, Monroe has you know the the bucks are try, are trying to sell him seventy five cents on the dollar, as you said earlier, and you know and so it doesn't everything van gundy's done has been pretty much vindicated, I think, and now we have like in, in every starting position we have a Starting caliber NBA player, which for a long time we really couldn't say. We had the likes of Kyle Singler, who's a nice guy and everything, but he was our our starting small forward for a while. He didn't even get to play on the Thunder this last year. And they they
1: had signed him to like a long term deal too. It's kind of I don't know. Uh, uh, that, that's kind of kind of weird, but yeah, he just he just seems like he's going to be a, a a good spot up three point shooter for you until you look at his numbers and he's kind of not. But that's right. So gutsy calls, turning over the roster, and more more than just cleaning house, he really Ben Gundy has really shaped the team into what it is today, which is a, a bunch of players that make sense in the system he wants to play. Young players and veterans who the the skills they have are the ones they need for the slot they're in. So we don't have a bunch of um, point guards who can't shoot three pointers. Uh, we don 't we have a bunch of um, we, we don 't have anybody who's a terrible sh- outside shooter. Uh, we have guys who can defend multiple positions um, do multiple uh, threatening actions on offense and um, if you 're not going to have the Golden State Warriors strategy of just I know why don 't we go out and get you know two of the three best players of this era on our roster at the same time. Um, or you know same with Cleveland having lebron and and Kyrie and Kevin Love then you got to do it this way, which is to just have uh, just parts that work together in one smooth machine and i'm th- i 'm really excited for this year because last year we we saw it coming together we were above average on both offense and defense with a young team um, I, I I just feel like the the upward trajectory has got to continue
0: yeah, and the way that he is has- manage to acquire these players is not waiting around till free agency and then being like every other team, especially with the cap going way up and saying, we have this money and and having our eye on some some star. Uh, He, the first one of the big first moves he made is getting Reggie Jackson before the 2013, 14 season ended. Uh, It gave him what at the time seemed like a really big contract. We're paying him about $15 million a year, but now that looks like a just fine contract. Uh, Similarly, we got Marcus Morris midseason, kind of for a steal, because he was he had bad blood uh, back in Phoenix because they traded his brother, and he was very unhappy, and he was not he was kind of being a bad, you know, just just bad blood there. But then he came here, and he's been he's been awesome. I think he's one of my favorite players now, he, like in terms of just being a true like true to the bad boy, just really solid. Yeah,
1: the, just and Tobias Harris guy. was
0: an awesome trade as well. I mean, we 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 kind of dumped Jennings and Ilya Sova. And we gave up no picks, like many people thought, and got Tobias Harris, who could easily be making, could have, you know, garnered twenty million a year in in the off season for uh, something like that, or maybe eighteen million, and we got him for what is it? I want to say fourteen or fifteen million a year.
1: And the yeah, yeah I mean, his his contract uh, ranges between fifteen and seventeen over the next few years, just like you said. And yeah, and he's young and skilled, and and he can play two positions. He can play small forward and he can play power forward. Um and he just really fits extremely well next to Andre Drummond, who's the centerpiece of our team. He's just a a a piece that fits really well and he's not just a role player. He's gonna um it's possible Tobias Harris is the kind of guy who at his very peak might make one or two all-star games. Um and that's a that's a good guy to have around.
0: Yeah, and so I I mean I think We've kind of gotten back to present day now. We've covered the history, the start of the Van Gundy era, and all the way leading up to a 44 win season, which for in the big picture is not amazing, but for us starving Pistons fans felt pretty nice. Let's talk about what's happened in the, since last year. I think la, last year we had a solid, we managed to get to a point where we had a solid player in every starting position who fit well together, but our bench really suffered. And this offseason has been about Kind of leveling up in a couple of positions there.
1: That's right, and um, I, I just want to mention, 44 wins is um, very sad if you're a veteran team who has peaked, but it was a it was a really good season for a team where most of our core players were uh, um, several years away from hitting the the peak age where where players usually play their best basketball. So we're on the way up. And yeah, so we had we always had um, we had a, several wing players, including a, you know our rookie Stanley Johnson coming off the bench um, and we had a good backup center last year aaron baines and we we 've added to that depth even more, but we had a real weakness in having um a, 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 a big power forward off the bench who can come in and defend um, and rebound against the both starters and second unit players on the other team that are that are big and you know anthony tolliver who john so john Luer is who we got in uh he's replacing anthony tolliver anthony tolliver fought really hard on defense and played really well um but uh he john Luer is two inches taller and is more of a traditional size for a power forward and he could even play center um uh, a decent against a decent amount of other lineups um he he shoots a little better um, for, from three. Uh, Anthony Tolliver was kind of a three-point specialist, but Luer uh, sh- has shot it even better. And uh, I think more importantly, on the offensive end, um, he he has a usage rate that's for his career that's mostly you know 18, 19 percent. So that's getting to where um, he's a, a productive role player. He can create enough. Uh, you know, 20% means you're using exactly the, the fraction of possessions on offense that uh, each player needs to. You usually have one or two guys who use more possessions because you want to have your good guys shoot more. But uh, Anthony Tolliver was down near 12%, 13 14%, which translated to how that looks during the game, that basically means that you only shoot when you're absolutely wide open and maybe, and the shot clock's running down. It's really pretty unusual actually to have a guy get a lot of minutes who um, uses that few possessions because that means that you're really not a threat other than, you know, as long as a guy's standing kind of near you. So you're not wide open. John Lure um, it, it plays similarly, you know, he's a, kind of an outside and mid range shooter, but he has one or two more tricks up his sleeve and, and can be a little bit more of a threat uh, on offense, and then again on defense he's just he 's taller and he rebounds better and just um, uh, is has a little bit less of a we 're playing our backup so we have some weaknesses type of game um and he could even if we, if we had to go extended time with him as like a role player, our fifth best starter um i don 't think we would suffer very much, so he was a really solid piece to fit into our rotation and uh, I was really glad we got him
0: definitely, and then the other major Upgrade on the bench was a point guard. Last year we had Steve Blake, especially after we traded Brandon Jennings. Um, Brandon Jennings for a while was came came back from his injury and was playing pretty solid as a backup point guard. But we had to trade him to get Tobias Harris, so we were left with Steve Blake as our main backup point guard. And it was also too bad that our uh, our rookie or our sophomore. Um Spencer Dinwiddie wasn't able to even crack the rotation. So we were left with uh, Steve Blake. And while he uh, – when you're watching him on offense, he seemed like a sort of savvy veteran who would do some stuff and uh, get some, make some passes. But he was really bad on defense. I felt like every time he was out there, I just felt like you're kind of bracing yourself. Like, when's Reggie Jackson to come back in? And, and like, the, the game would get close if we had a lead or we, the game would kind of get out, get out of our hands. So uh, we signed Ish Smith from the Sixers, and Ish Smith was a, I don't know, mediocre to below-average starting point guard last year. But a starting point guard, a mediocre starting point guard, could be a decent backup point guard has been sort of my calculus, and it's and it's pretty widely accepted that he's uh, a definite upgrade over Blake.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Blake, Blake was another one of those guys who um, he was a savvy veteran and really played within his – what what the skills he brought to the table um you know he controlled the pace uh he he was a pretty good three-point shooter for us i remember him hitting a lot of corner threes in particular for us so he did he did what he could but he turned the ball over a lot because he was really susceptible to pressure um and because he was on the floor with uh you know guys who couldn't create that much now Ish smith he you know he's the kind of guy who you'd pick up on your fantasy team last year. He was playing for the 76ers who are um, an extremely bad team who weren't even trying to win. They had a bunch of rookies and young guys. They're trying to ha- have a bad record so they could have um, a good draft pick. Now the players were trying to win, but the the, the management was not trying to put, a, get, put together a roster that could win. And, and one of the things they did is they had his Smith um, start 50 games for them. And he scored almost 15 points per game. And, and, uh, Uh, you know he's he's a little little spark plug he's got he's six feet tall um and i'm always suspicious when a guy's listed at exactly six feet that probably means he's like five ten, you know um um but he he's one of the fastest players in the league just in in terms of like running fast and and moving fast with the ball getting up the floor and so i think this is a case where He's not going to put up the the numbers that he did with the 76ers because they really had him, like they didn't have any good players, so they had him using, I think, 25% of their possessions or something when he was on their team, yeah. And that was the most of his career. Um, he's definitely not going to do anything like that for us. What he's going to do is is he's a veteran. Everybody likes him. He's very well thought of around the league. He's 28 years old. That's the, that's the kind of guy who's at the... You know, still still in his prime as a point guard, um, but has been playing long enough that he knows how to play team defense. But, you know, remember how we're always talking about how um, uh, whenever we get a rebound, Stan Van Gundy is, is going to tear his rotator cuff waving his arm around uh, in a in a windmill fashion to try to get everyone to go up the floor faster. Well, um, Ish Smith is not going to have any trouble doing that. That's That's his really, like his major, like, you know, that's the pitch that got him in the major leagues is like, getting the ball up the floor with pace and then he's adequate at everything else he's you know he's he's not that great a three-point shooter but he's not the kind of guy you you leave wide open he's a career 30 percent three-point shooter that you know that's not great but it, um we're not talking about rajon rondo here um so th- that's kind of how i look at it is like really good locker room guy um Athletic enough to not be bad on defense, which which Blake really, I mean, gosh, he looked like he didn't have any Achilles tendons in his in his body or something on defense sometimes. And then so, so just really a, a, um, plugging a hole on defense and having one major thing he contributes on offense, which is uh, that the coach wants is get up the floor when your bench is on there. So that's how, that's my kind of scouting report on him. I think people were a little little overexcited because again, people would have him on their fantasy team or something. He comes out of nowhere and averages 15 points a game last year, but um, I think you know if we're realistic about what he is, I think we can be very happy that we got him.
0: Yeah, I I kind of feel like I'm not sure I'm happier that we have him than if somehow we had gotten say Brandon Jennings back or something like that, who's now going to be the backup for the New York Knicks, but. You know, it, it's kind of back to actually having a real backup point guard, and so rounding out our bench, uh, I, the big I think the big change is that everyone who is young is getting older and more experienced and better, and we have a a solid bench. So ideally, we kind of look across our our roster, and at any given time, we're not kind of waiting for someone to get out of the game. Kind of, we also got Boban uh, Marjanovic, who is. People like a lot. He seems to be great for culture. He'll be in the mix with Aaron Baines for backup center. Um, we we dra- Our rookie, Allenson, people felt like was a really good value at our draft position at 16. Um, he'll be in the mix with John Luer. We got Reggie Bullock and Hilliard in the mix, at backup shooting guard, and Stanley Johnson, who you know might actually be in some rotations with the starters when we want to play small, for instance. But why don't we swing back around to the starters and just kind of give – it was supposed to be a primer. We've been talking about a lot of nuances here. Uh, maybe we can swing back around and kind of give people a big picture. Why were we pretty good last year? Uh, we have a really, uh, I think the core is the threat between our all-star, first time we had an all-star in a while, Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson, at a pick-and-roll threat surrounded by three-point shooters who can stretch the floor uh, in KCP, Marcus Morris, and Tobias Harris. And every single one of those positions are you know, the right size person who can play solid defense. Uh, KCP is known as a defensive specialist, for instance. Uh, and so the, I think that you kind of start there with, like, five solid starters with the strength of Reggie Jackson, who's just amazing at kind of penetrating. With And then when you have the, the pick-and-roll threat with Andre Drummond and then people like Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris and KCP waiting for, to, to get a shot, with a little bit of playmaking for Tobias Harris, if necessary, we actually have a decent offense.
1: That's that's right and and the the system is the one that Van Gundy used when he was in Orlando too. He brought a team to the finals that was Dwight Howard on uh Manning the middle with um, some guys who can sh- make three pointers including a power forward who could make three pointers uh Rashard Lewis at the time uh, on the wings. Now here, you know, it's not like everybody's a dead eye three-point shooter. We have everyone everyone is adequate to to decent. Uh, Reggie Jackson shot 35 percent Marcus Morris shot 36 percent those those are those are nice numbers you, you, have, you can have a, a pretty efficient offense if if your guys are making that um, uh, Contavius caldwell Pope shot a lot of threes and got got hot sometimes but it was down near 31 percent um, he was a pretty good shooter in college and you know w- was a good scorer so um, it, you know if he if he can get his three-point shooting percentage up, That would really help us a lot. And then, you know, Tobias Harris, um, he really shot above his career average. He shot over 37% from three. Uh, He's a guy who can play a lot of power forward and a lot of small forward for us. So, yeah, on offense, the parts fit together. Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond were the pair that ran the most pick and rolls as a duo last year um, in the league. And, you know, I would actually honestly like to see us lean on that. A little less, uh, w- w- you know. It's it's our biggest threat. Andre Drummond is a beast, and if you throw it near the rim without somebody following him, w- more on that later. um You know, he'll get it and throw it down, and he really warps the defense and and has those shooters open. But it'll be really nice to have Tobias Harris um and hopefully Contavius Caldwell Pope, um you know, ha- have a threat to get a second action going where it's like, okay, the pick and roll is not there. You throw it to Tobias Harris, and he can. You know, fake a sh- you know catch, pump, and 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 start dribbling and make something useful happen. Um, that's the that's how you get your offense from where we were last year, a little bit above average. That's how you get into the top ten. As you is is you don't just you know we don't have a Reggie Jackson trying to will a, a decent possession into existence and ending up you know throwing up some questionable shots. Um, I ha- I have high hopes, but um, it, it's a system that works. Um, And and we're really just limited by um, that that we don't have that star offensive talent except, you know, Reggie Jackson is really skilled and can create a lot of good shots, and he's just not as efficient as a guy who
0: ends up being, you know, an all-NBA type of caliber guy. Yeah, and a couple of things that just popped into mind as you were talking and I was staring at our starting list here is that last year one thing that Reggie Jackson did that we were questioning at the beginning of the season is, could he get his three-point sh- shot up enough that people would, if they stepped under the pick, uh, he would be a threat there? And I think that the answer was yes. So that was really key to us being decent. Um, Andre Drummond just really being a beast on the offensive boards was really key. Uh, we had so many putbacks, so many extra possessions. Uh, but also there's a, sort of a, a pull there. Like he's, he's at a turning point where he looks pretty good sometimes in the post, but he actually wasn't ultimately a good offensive player yeah. last year, uh, so he's probably he probably really wants to be more of a post player. It's kind of a little bit of like a Dwight Howard conundrum, where like he really should just be a beast in the boards and be and really try to get better at defense. But I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of had this temptation that maybe he could become a guy we throw it down to as a go to option every few <laughs> possessions. Uh, Marcus Morris also is someone who, for you know. You wouldn't want to run your offense through him, but he's somebody who can get off a, a reasonable shot. Uh, he's just athletic enough and a good enough shooter. But those usually were cases where our offense had gotten stagnant and we passed it around, and at, you know, at 20 seconds, he kind of just had to back in and get off a reasonable shot. Right. So I, I kind of one questions I have are who, is, who really is going to step up? Is it going to be Tobias Harris, or is Andre Drummond going to kind of want to be a guy who is a go to starting point of our offense? If he is. Could he become a better passer where, like, he's able to collapse the, the defense a little bit and then use his athleticism to swing it across to somebody who's open? Or is it just going to be, like, one of those ego things where, like, we kind of have to waste a few possessions every game to keep him happy? You know, I think that's a great point that,
1: um, in addition to having Tobias Harris have some creative abilities, having um, Andre Drummond in the post develop as an option would be huge for getting us into that top ten, top five offense um, in the league range over the next few years. And we've clearly made a big investment in in developing Andre's post skills. The last couple of years he's uh increased every year in how many of his shots come from outside of 3 feet. Um meaning he's not shooting a layup because someone passed it to him or he got an offensive rebound. Um, and you know it's a, it's not a very efficient possession for us at this point. I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like he he's not great at it yet. Um, but this is where the optimism about the future and the fact in in um, not worrying about being kind of a mediocre team last year comes in. It's that Tobias Harris and Andre Drummond um, are going to be 24 and 23 years old respectively this year, so they could get better each year for a couple of years. Uh, at skills like that. It's the type of thing where you try to add that skill in the off season. And um, the, the fashion of the league is going away from throw it into the big guy in the post. But, you know, when you have a talent like Andre Drummond's, just such a large combination of being big and athletic and graceful um, with his feet, um, you know, hopefully that'll translate to his hands at some point. Um, You know, we'll, you really got to take advantage of that and um if uh, if other teams are loading up on um, having uh, you, get, you know having draymond Green uh, at six foot eight or whatever he is six foot nine playing center, maybe you got to zag zig when the other te- guys are zagging or whatever the cliche is that i 'm groping for um, so that that 's another um, source of optimism of like we 're starting at above average, and we could really get into that top ten. Um, but I think the elephant in the room also is just for for everything Andre Drummond adds with his unbelievable offensive rebounding, he takes away more with his bad free throw shooting, and it and it and it hurts us both in a normal half court offense where you try to the post, um, have him uh, catch it on an alley oop, and and teams can follow it to take it away, but also just the ridiculous you know clock management and um, strategic following that you do to once you're in the bonus to just force him off the floor you know he he shot um 35 and percent last year from the free throw line at over seven attempts a game and uh it, it's just it's just killing us and, and, and in in some sense the ceiling of this team this version of the Pistons for the next five years almost entirely rides on whether he can get that up to if he got that up to like 55%, it would be he could be I mean maybe a Hall of Fame level player. I don't think that's going too far.
0: Yeah, I mean he was a he he was a 16 points and 15 rebound guy last yeah. year. And he was just he became interesting enough to other teams that the Hack of Drummond was just the the smart thing to do. And it was boring and but it just it worked. We could just see it before our eyes work uh, against us. So, I think we did some uh some calculations last season, and we saw that his offensive rating would jump from like one oh eight to like all star all star level one twenty if he got it up to fifty percent but I, I as part of me wonders it worries it's like if you just took anyone in the league and took their biggest weakness and said if they just got a lot better at that, they'd be an all star that's probably true of almost every starter in the league so i i I'm, I'm wondering whether or not we are just i don't know i mean because we hear about things in the off season like he's using VR. yeah to try to help improve his free throws, and there was a, people were wondering whether or not if he just would if he just if he would just shoot underhanded, uh, because like Rick Barry did, and and Wilt Chamberlain improved, and they had the same problem, and uh, but I don't know, I mean every big man who's been bad at free throws has wanted to get better, right? And yeah, uh, you, and,
1: absolutely, and and I think that's a great point that you you know if you cherry pick and just say well what if his biggest weakness turned out not to be a weakness? Yeah, he'd be better. Okay, so that's a little tautological, but he's He is young and so guys guys develop skills over time um just to um mention again uh, some something I've mentioned over the past couple of years a little bit is you know if i if you look back at at uh big men who were very bad free throw shooters early in their career, there really is no systematic pattern about whether they improve or not. Some guys get better and some guys don't um most of them don't, but some do, and there really is no rhyme or reason that I could see to like how that happens? Karl Malone was a below 60, 60% shooter the, for his first year or two in the league, and then he then he became like a over 70% shooter for the rest of his career and and got to the foul line a lot and that's why he's why he won MVP awards and was in the Hall of Fame, and then other guys just never get better. Um, I think you know it's a really uh, it's a fan favorite th- theory to say if he shot underhanded, uh, he would improve a little bit and he should try it. I think part of it is just you know people like to be clever or people would, would like to see him think
0: outside the box, um, but there and there's some great there's not a lot of data but there's some great anecdotes and an entire Malcolm Gladwell podcast episode. Yes, about it, it. It, so there's more than just there's more than just sort of like idle speculation. There's right. some real uh, anecdotes there of some serious. Change. Yeah, the
1: revisionist history is the name of the Malcolm Gladwell podcast series, and there's an episode on Wilt Chamberlain where they go into that's fascinating, but it, it's. Um, You know, For the more scientific-minded among you, you really get to, like, wow, there's a real narrative journalism going on here, and there's really no evidence that, like, for any given person, it would definitely help them. Um, So that's my criticism of it. That being said, I have some great uh, uh, anecdotal evidence, too. Um, People say that big men uh, typically have a hard time shooting free throws. They speculate because their hands are so big and the ball is so light compared to their strength, and it's just hard to— uh, for whatever reason, kind of shoot overhand the you know the the normal free throw form uh, accurately. well, i I practiced on my daughter's uh, little uh, nerf basketball hoop, uh, both overhand and underhand, and I found that uh, I was better underhand. Uh, uh, very quickly, I, I was better underhand uh, after practicing it a little bit. So I think that proves once and for all that uh, Andre Drummond's leaving money on the table by not shooting underhand. Um, yeah, so so that's my that's my version of uh, of, of all this internet speculation <laughs> yeah, about um, this. You know, we but we'll, the, let's patch in um, Gladwell to see if it will run our podcast. <laughs> there, or... Yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll get in the New Yorker. Um, but I, I think that um, you know the, the VR thing is interesting. That we're, that's kind of a cutting edge um, thing, and we, you know, so there's a theory behind why it would work. Just the the sports psychology of having the positive reinforcement of seeing the ball go in or avoiding the negative reinforcement, uh, the negative feeling you get from missing and getting discouraged. Um, if that works, we're going to see a whole lot of uh, VR uh, stuff. I am I'm, I'm pretty skeptical. Um, I think, you know, in our first preseason game, he, he shot one for three from the free throw line, which proved nothing. Um, you know, good, good well, luck to him. They
0: say, they say that I'm, I'm not sure what the Delta is for, for how well people shoot in practice versus games, but uh, so this also doesn't necessarily mean anything, but I, apparently he shoots like mid sixty percent free throws in practice, and then so that's a huge that's a huge difference to down to thirty five percent over last season, and and became it became a thing. He's he's notably like historically bad at free throws, yeah. and games hinged on people deciding just to follow him over and over again. So there's something to believe, something to be said there for like it getting in your head. Um, yeah, in the Gladwell podcast they
1: called it. They likened it to the yips, as they call it in golf, where a guy who's a good putter just in a pressure situation will just spaz out and and uh, and not hit short putts well. And yeah, you could see that there being a psychological element there. So we'll see. So I think that takes care of our our how our offense works with the starters. I want to just talk about defense for a second here. Um, we have one of the real strengths of our of our, um, the lineup we have on defense is that we have a bunch of guys who are the right size for their position and athletic enough to stay in front of their guy. And we, we're going to have the same guys playing together for a full season for the first time in a long time. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson has really long arms and is pretty athletic, not known as a defensive stopper, but I think he's really been improving. Uh, I don't think he's a minus defender. I think he's kind of neutral. Contavius Caldwell Pope is, um, you know, kind of a young up-and-coming defender. Uh, I think a lot of people think he has potential to be a real plus defender, and sometimes he really contributed. And Marcus Morris is a really good, hard-nosed, you know, will wrestle with you kind of defender. And Tobias Harris is um, a question mark on defense, but he's he's the right size, and he and he and he's trying hard, and he says the right things. Um, he if he goes from kind of a, a borderline minus defender to being neutral, that helps. And then finally, you know Andre Drummond, you know it, it doesn't hurt to get to come. Either he led the league or he came close to leading the league in defensive rebounds. If the other team doesn't get the offensive rebound, that helps a lot. He's not blocking as many shots, but I think you know he's probably better in better position than he used to be. So if if he can take that like just age related you know, knowing what the hell you're doing as a big man on defense this year. If we could go from above average to top 10, just be, just by him being more beastly and uh, going better. I saw an interview with John Luer just about the uh, training camp of preseason. And they were talking about how's your defense um, progressing. You know, Sam and Gundy is saying uh, he's impressed that instead of you being adequate on defense, you look pretty good. And one of the things John Luer said in response to that was, well, i this is my i can 't remember sixth or seventh year in the league, and I just know what i 'm doing more now on a team scheme and that I love that because that just completely conforms with what I thought before, so you know the, the, that's everybody loves it when they find evidence that, that uh, fits their opinion, but that fits my opinion that that big men just it just for some reason it's just really hard to understand where you're supposed to be at every second on the floor so um just a, just a minute on what our our starting lineup looks like on defense it it's going to go from above average to um, possibly really good if, if we can plug the holes and everybody develops how we think they can.
0: Yeah, and I think to add to that, as far as our starting starting-ish lineups go, if if the other team is going small, a Andre Drummond is athletic enough that he's not some stodgy, towering seven-footer. He's really like they said he has like, he has lateral quickness of like an average point guard, which is incredible for his size. And Stanley Johnson uh, is a really st- just a really big guy, so if sometimes we, we go small and, and we have like Reggie Jackson kCP Stanley Johnson Tobias, and Marcus Morris out at the same time, and that's also a versatility we have if we're playing people who are trying to emulate the death lineup of the Golden State Warriors from last year for instance
1: the no that's absolutely right I think um, Andre Drummond being big enough to where nobody's going to overpower him in the post and also quick enough to not be punished on pick and roll. I think that's huge because, you know, if you look at, um, you know, te- teams will try to play a, a, a big center and, and teams in the playoffs, teams will just go after them, putting them in pick and roll after pick and roll until sometimes they get um, out quick and have to be taken off the floor. But more importantly, Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris and Contavious Caldwell Pope, all being able to switch some, some matchups, either because of confusion or because of a pick or a, a breakdown on the other team, we can recover quickly and just have guys match up again and be a, a pretty solid defense. I think, you know, that's something that the analysts on T V and the coaches say is really important. And, you know, it makes sense that you, you know, who what do we know as fans, but just having that adequately sized guys who will fight hard and are are quick enough and they can guard multiple positions. You know that has the the makings of a of a, of a defense that could be great is if, if that defensive anchor in the middle co- um, gets better. Um, but just speaking of defensive anchors, that just I'm curious what's going to happen to Golden State's defense this year because they, you know, they had a historically great offense, but their defense was also awesome. Partly because all their players are great, and Draymond Green is great, but also Andrew Bogut. Um, I always talk about being the, you know, the Standing in an inconvenient place with his hands up, being very huge, is is really good for your team defense. And he's gone he, as part of the clearing money to be able to sign Kevin Durant. Uh, I'm absolutely not saying they would have been better keeping Andrew Bogut and not getting Kevin Durant, but I'm just I'm going to be really interested to see how taking that unsung hero on defense and getting rid of him and having Zaza Pachulia, you know, I don't know, maybe a replacement level uh, big man. Instead, So, um, as a, as a fan of a team that is anchored by a big man, I'm really interested in how that Andrew Bogut subplot uh, develops this year, just so I can learn a little more about, you know, what, what does Andre need to do over the next 10 years of his career?
0: Definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I'm not sure I have a whole lot else to say about defense for our, our roster, except for the fact that our bench is now a little bit more plugged in right. with the right size, John Lurie being bigger, and Ish being not an old man. Yeah, so,
1: we, yeah we, we addressed the, like, we got just better at those two slots, backup power forward and backup point guard. And I, all I would just add is, we we again have guys who can play multiple positions. Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson can both play two or th- uh, two positions at least. Stanley Johnson can play anywhere from shooting guard to power forward. He's a Stanley Johnson is a is a very um, unusually high weight for a small forward. And you look at him, and he does not look like he has like body fat percentage issues. He just has like he's just you know big boned and and strong as well as being quick. So he can. We could probably play him at power forward um, a, against certain lineups, but then and then we just have this complete wealth of power forwards and centers: John Luer, rookie Henry Ellenson, um, uh, Aaron Baines, Andre uh, to go with Andre Drummond, and Boban Marjanovic is what is he like seven foot three? I can't, I, I can't remember how big he is. But he's impossibly huge, and um, so we have you know these three gigantic, big you know uh, good centers, so. You know, we we actually have a little bit of a roster imbalance. We have almost too many uh, uh, good um, six ten and over guys to to get a, enough minutes. Um, you know, who knows if we're going to make a trade or something, but um, we have a lot of versatility as well as having uh, guys in the right positions is what I it was what I really wanted to say. And um, so, you know, this is all looking good. It, it's the you, you know this is not the stuff you would be highlighting on a team that's um, a favorite to win the championship, but it's. It's it's really good stuff for a team that's
0: looking to take a step up from losing in the first round to winning in the first round. And a big piece of what it means to win in the first round is to get good enough that you can be high enough in the standings to be to actually be favored in the first round because we're not going to beat the Cavs this year, next year, or maybe even the year after. We've got to wait until
1: LeBron gets old.
0: Yeah, so what we really want is to perhaps, uh, let's shift gears here towards doing a survey of what people have said about our estimated win total for this season people people are putting us uh, at about the fourth spot in the east right now behind the cavs the celtics the and the raptors ahead of the hawks and the pacers but it's very narrow so like it, for instance a lot of people have us at about 45 wins up up from 44 wins last year and that would put us against the declining hawks the kind of middling pacers the and, and the wizards but it's 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 a it's very tight so i think that we can't be too excited about that because, you know, with Reggie Jackson's injury, for instance, or something else goes wrong, we could easily slide it back down to 40 wins and then not make the playoffs. There's like the, the middle class of the East goes deep all the way to 12 teams who are estimated to get 38 wins or more. So there's a lot of hungry teams. The Knicks have high expectations, uh, the Hornets and everything else. So um, I think it's going to be an exciting season, also a nerve-wracking season. I mean, no, gone are the days in the East where uh, 40 wins gets you squarely in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I, I know it, it, it. It's really fascinating. I mean, the, the the fourth, the fourth through through eighth slots in the East are basically anywhere from forty five wins to down to forty, and gosh, the, you know that that three, four, five wins. I mean, that's basically what could be at stake with with Reggie Jackson's injury. They're they're saying he he could miss four to eight weeks. Well, four weeks he he barely misses any time at all. Eight weeks he could miss. 15 16 18 games um it, uh depending on what you know when you're counting starting the clock on eight weeks um and you know so it, it's really it, like you said it's going to be really nerve-wracking there are going to be some teams that are in that middle class that you know have some reason why they're they crap the bed in the first half of the year or they have some injury and then they'll start tanking like you know let, let's see what the young guys can give us and stuff like that and so it might not end up as crowded, but man, you know, like you said, New York, Indiana, Atlanta, Charlotte, um, the Wizards. Everyone is is trying to find out if they can be
0: that second round playoff team or better, like we're hoping to be. Um, but I, you know, what would be so exciting about being a second round playoff team is that let's say we're the four seed, we can we have a, we, we expected to win the first round. Then we're in the second round. And we're playing, say, the Celtics or the Raptors. If, if, assuming we're actually the fourth seed, I don't know. I, I would I would think we have a fighting chance at that. And so, yeah. so you know, the the highest upside of the season is like we could be in the Eastern Conference Finals. And 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 I, I, I even us Brosane optimists wouldn't dare venture to say we could be in the finals or anything like that. But you know, making the Eastern Conference Finals is not completely out of the question. Whereas that's a pretty huge leap from thirty four wins a, few, a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, you just you want to put yourself in a position to be there in, in case you catch fire or somebody else goes cold or uh, if there's an injury on the other team. You know, you you never know how far you could go. Um, yeah, so you know, what, ESPN has a couple of projections. One, their kind of consensus projection says 45 wins for us. The Vegas over under is 45 and a half. Um, and, man, that's great. That's great that, that, like, kind of that's the level of consensus optimism out there. Um, Kevin Pelton, who's m- more of a in-house analytics guru for ESPN, he he said in the middle of the – in the late summer, he did one for every team. He said 47 to 48 wins for us. And who knows what he was assuming about, you know, improvement from Andre Drummond. And we didn't know about Reggie Jackson's uh, injury at the time. But, man, you know – the. That's great. I, th- there's just a lot of, um, you know, lukewarm enthusiasm around the league for us instead of, um, you know, last year it, it was amazing how little we were even mentioned by national commentators. Um, now just to throw some cold water on that a little bit, um, dot com, uh, run by Nate Silver, who's the, you know, the God of baseball econometrics, uh, or uh, baseball sabermetrics. metrics, um, uh, he has some guys who who are doing it for basketball. They don't really, they didn't really do projections for each team, at least last time I looked. Um, but they did it for each player with these rankings. They called their Carmelo rankings, and Carmelos in all caps, and it stands for each letter stands for something. But um, they, but if you add up the wins for each player on the Pistons, you get thirty six wins for us this year. And if you take the like optimistic scenario for most of the players and do some math about you know basically a 90th percentile outcome you know to, uh, 9 out of 10 seasons we would be worse than 45 wins which is what Vegas is predicting um and, and these other espn analyses so at least one set of like you know spreadsheets and metrics is saying is throwing some cold water and having us being below 500 um and that's probably just having to do with a lot of players you know have a good season and then go mean revert back to like being not as good. Um, it's just hard to stay good in the NBA who knows, you know, uh, we don't, we don't really know. I kind of
0: wonder, I kind of wonder whether that Carmelo rating has the property that if you take all the win totals and add them up for every team that you get the right amount of wins for the entire NBA or, or if it's just completely individual, because I mean, of course I'm just rationalizing and being a little bit of a Homer here. I mean, this is a Homer podcast. Um, I think part of what Van Gundy does is sort of like you get you get more you get more bang for your buck I mean last year we ended up with forty four wins, which was three more than we even thought, and everyone else thought we'd get like thirty eight wins that was part of like some of the parts kind of thing, plus yes. the idea of having every person be good for the being being the right fit versus having something like Andre Drummond Greg Monroe, and Josh Smith all on the same team like we did before, which was a terrible thing.
1: <laughs> yeah I and mean, that that was we're ta- we're taking the, just the exact opposite approach uh, the, this time. We don't have uh, three guys who can't shoot who all need to be in the lane uh, uh, as our three highest paid players. We've got a balanced roster as we just spent the, the last bit um, discussing. So you know, so, so I have I can't help but I make my own spreadsheet and do my own simple projections. It's not as fancy as as these other uh, these other ones. I just take the win shares, um, the the kind of Dean Oliver. Derived uh, win shares. He's a stats guru for uh, in the NBA, and just think about how many minutes are guys going to play. Are guys going to play more or fewer minutes? And think about are they going to get a little better or are they going to get a little worse just based on their age? And we had a lot of guys getting better. And I, you know, the, my my analysis said 44 wins, th- 43 to 44 wins is is what you should expect just with that back of the envelope way of doing it. So. Um, unfortunately that means about the same as last year um, or that we overachieved a bit last year and, um, you know, we, and we'll stay the course. Um, you know, so what, what do you think about uh, nailing down our official Brosane win projection for the year?
0: Well, I felt last year, like we won about as many games as it seemed our team was capable of. And we had a lot of thing we had a lot of things changing throughout the year. Like we didn't get, uh, we didn't get to Tobias Harris until later in the season. Uh, our, our, our new nucleus was kind of gelling together. So I felt actually pretty good about being, projecting like a, an improvement on our win total from last year into the 45. And when I saw Kevin Peltons, I was like, yeah, you know, we could definitely be a 48 win team. But when you throw in this uncertainty of how long Reggie Jackson's out, I mean, without Reggie Jackson, the one that's like our our least deep position at point guard. Uh, That would mean Ish Smith is starting, and I have no idea who would even be backing him up. And Reggie Jackson is probably the most important person to our offense. Yes, Uh, Because even Andre Drummond being very important, he's important only because Reggie Jackson is so good to compliment him. So if he's out and he misses a full month of the regular season, and that, that, that alone costs us two or three games, then that brings us back down to around 45 wins. So I feel... Pretty lame, just like predicting exactly like the Vegas over under, but that kind of feels right to me right now. I mean, I wonder if the Vegas over under goes down, given given Reggie Jackson's injury.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right. I I think um, I think it'd be fun to just just think like you know maybe we were uh, slated for forty eight wins, and people people don't understand the power of the continuity of playing for Van Gundy for multiple years in a row, and our young guys getting better, and our um, you know the, the parts. Uh, melding together so well and we were on we're going to get 48 wins and then maybe let's knock off a couple wins for reggie jackson's both his he's going to miss some time and we're probably going to be managing his minutes and um maybe even having him sit out some back-to-backs uh during the season um uh, you know i i I think i want to go to about 46 uh as my um yeah, the, basically go to about 46 wins as my uh, official projection. Are you willing to sign on to that?
0: Yeah, let's, let's make that the official Brozane pro, pro, uh, projection, but 46 wins. And looking back at some of our past, this is our third season doing the podcast now, and I think our in 2014 we predicted 38 wins. We were a little bit optimistic, and um, we, we had some success that year, but then Brandon Jennings was injured for a long time. We ended up with 32 wins, so we kind of tanked the rest of the season. Uh, last year we projected 41, which I think was a little bit optimistic. And then we exceeded even our own expectations and got 44 this year. We're kind of taking a, not very daring prediction of 46, but a lot of that's tempered by, um, Reggie Jackson. What do you think is the upside and it's sort of like the sort of maybe 90% confidence intervals just to throw in jargon there to make us sound smart. I mean, if
1: somebody makes a leap, like we come in and, it is really is possible that Andre Drummond makes a big leap up in his career and goes from borderline All Star. Like he, you know, he played really well, better the first half of the year than the second half of the year, and if it, his whole body of work, he might he he might not have made the All Star team last year. If he goes from that to being like a second team All NBA guy, um, which is really possible if you look at the career of like Moses Malone. He th- this was about the age where he went from being a a young phenom to being like future Hall of Famer and MVP winner, Moses Malone. Um, if something like that happens, we, we could, we could win 50 games. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, um, and then there's a, a similar, but slightly less exciting story. You could tell about our other young guys, uh, Stanley Johnson, Tobias Harris, Cantavius Caldwell Pope are all at an age where they could just take an unexpected, you know, one notch up in the in how in what category of player they are leap, and I, that's what I think is the upside is fifty. Um,
0: yeah, I, I feel about the same. Um, and and to speak to our downside, I, I could I could also see a scenario where you can always say, oh, if someone important got injured, um, that obviously would hurt any team. But given that Reggie Jackson is starting off a little bit shaky, even if that weren't the case, I could just still somehow see things. Turn out, not so not so that we just end up really sucking again. I don't see that being a possibility, but I can see us going back to like forty wins, and and just somehow we like last year we overachieved, and this year we kind of regressed back a little bit. And I can see this being a disappointing season where we get like forty wins, miss the playoffs, and don't really get in a good draft position. Like that's like the to me that's the worst position to be in to be like the ninth or tenth seed. Right. Where you're just like it, nothing really great happened that season, and especially given like last year being the ninth seed, but maybe getting forty three wins or something would have still felt a little bit exciting this year, missing the playoffs and getting like forty two wins, forty wins would suck um and but I would be very surprised if we got like below forty wins
1: I'm comfortable with that i mean it, it would be a major letdown, but if we if it's like the the worst end of what we know is possible about Reggie's current injury. Even if no one else has any major injuries, let's say on top of that we have some chemistry problems like this logjam we have as young big men. People start to complain or, um, you know, the our, our strategy of, go, of being centered around a big man when the rest of the league is not backfires on us. And it's just we get run out of the gym and, you know, Andre Drummond is trying to guard um three point shooting big man a lot and and sucking at it i mean that, we were very vulnerable to that in the playoffs when channing fry came in for the cavaliers he, drummond really had trouble staying out near the three point line to guard him if you know just, just there's some sort of league wide trend or a chemistry problem that could cost us a few wins and um you know i think that's the downside scenario is what it looks like
0: yeah and if you look at some specific matchups, just the East getting better also kind of makes things harder like I can imagine what if like we lose almost every game to the Celtics and also the Wizards get their act together this year when John wall is back to like a you know sort of second team all n b a or all solid all star player right. and we lose with the we we lose most of our games to Washington and then suddenly we're just like not competitive with like four teams in the east or something like that that'll that could really tear us down too
1: yeah no question so so I mean, it's just a really competitive league in that middle range where we are. And you, you could, you can add five wins or subtract five wins based on the wind blowing the wrong way for, for too long. And uh, that's kind of where we ended up, you know, 46 going up to 50, going down to 40. um, I think that's a great range for for us to be in. I would be, I would be shocked if we're outside of that 40 to 50 range. And um, you know, I think, uh, you know, 46 I think we're going you know we're 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 going to the upper end of uh, of of kind of that super likely range but let's have some fun.
0: Yeah and maybe just to to wrap things up we've made our prediction do you want to spend some time speculating about ways that I mean for the most part we have our our solid core and we're not going to be making any big moves but you have some ideas of even some small ways we might make some changes to get even better during the season? Well, there are just
1: a couple of facts swirling around out there that, you know, if we end up making a getting Tobias Harris level move during the middle of the year or we end up trying to clear our big man logjam to, you know, upgrade our talent in our starting lineup, it would look like something like the following. Um, Contavius Caldwell-Pope is coming towards the end of his rookie contract, and with all the huge contracts everybody's getting – and there being a little bit of a shortage of shooting guards who can hit threes and defend, let's say he has a a great, you know, upgrade to his three-point shooting this year and ends up being an all-NBA defender, he could end up getting a max contractor close to it from some team next year. And if we see that on the wall, we could end up trading him. Um, uh, I'll just note that, that ESPN, in the course of mentioning that the 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 Chicago Bills could really turn into a dumpster fire this year, having Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and Rajon Rondo all needing the ball in their hands and all being veterans and all um, Rondo and Wade being capable defenders who who, never, who don't try very hard. They they might end up wanting to to cut bait on this season and take their the guy they could get the most for jimmy butler and trade him and that article just mentioned the pistons as a possible destination for him and i started thinking about it it makes kind of sense a package that has a young one of our young guys young big men and contavious Caldwell pope and a and some draft picks that might be a competitive offer for jimmy butler um and you know taking um uh, at the at the end of his prime um You know, all-star caliber Jimmy Butler, who's an awesome defender and a borderline all-star offensive player. Um, You slotting him in? That would would look pretty great. So something like that, it really is possible. We have – we're not like the Celtics where we just have this unlimited grab bag full of future draft picks and young guys to trade for, you know, uh, a superstar. But we could get an all-star who, if a team is looking to unload him, we have some uh, a package of young guys and draft picks that could potentially price someone away if they're if they're having a fire sale. Um, so so that's um, that's a scenario that we can keep our eye on. It's not likely. I think the most likely scenario is we just we grind through this season, trying to do the best we can, and then deal with Contavious Caldwell Pope and like maybe Aaron Baines leaving uh, this off later. But um, I just you know I I just wanted to flag that now just because it would be. Um, it would be great uh, if it happened.
0: Yeah, and that would be sort of like really going doubling down on this being our – like if we traded like two future first-rounders and KCP and Aaron Baines or something like that, and we, we kept our core, upgraded KCP to Jimmy Butler, and would say, hey, now that's supposed to be our contender. Yeah. And that's where, and that's where Van Gundy swinging at the fences. You know, that's not – that would be exciting. I mean, I'm not sure we're going to yeah. be beating the Western Conference teams. But yeah, I –
1: I think um, you, you know you you kind of don't want to peak during Steph Curry and LeBron James's like contending days because you know they're just really hard to get through. But um, you know, we, it would, yeah, it would be exciting, and that that we could break we could break past that fifty win barrier with a team like that. But um, I yeah, I j- just wanted to mention that as a as an
0: unlikely but fun possibility. Definitely. All right, well, we will – I just see we, we've been talking for about an hour now, and we'll cut it right here. I think this will probably be just about it for our preseason coverage, and we look forward to talking to everybody again when we're probably, I don't know, a couple weeks into the season.
1: Right, late October is, is when we get started, and, uh, yeah, go Pistons.